Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. We are, we are in Galatians and we're you know, we've had Good Friday service last week, and so we didn't have a Wednesday service. Um, but we're making a pretty good dent in Galatians. We're planning on covering two lessons in every chapter, which will be a six lessons. This is the fourth one. So we're doing pretty good in regard to how we did Revelation, which took us six months, nine months to get halfway through, uh, which we will revisit. But anyway, so we're in Galatians chapter 2, going to work 11 through 21 today. And I'm going to teach us a teaching titled, Knowing Your Place. Knowing Your Place. In chapter 2, as we begin chapter 2, so I'm going to have you go back just a little bit, set context, or really just kind of explain to you what's happened. In chapter 2, man, Paul is having a good day. Paul is just, he just had a victory. He went to the Jerusalem church and he defended his ministry and he had people with him Barnabas and Titus that came alongside him to help him defend his ministry um, they gave him the right hand of fellowship they added nothing to him which we we stated the last time we were together that for them to add nothing to him wasn't a negative thing it's he wasn't complaining that they didn't give him money or something like that they're saying that he they added nothing to him in regard to the gospel so he had the gospel right, and he didn't need anything added to what he had been revealed. And so he's having a good day, and the the Jerusalem, the, the pastors in Jerusalem had, and the surrounding areas that were there offered him the right hand of fellowship, which is essentially to say, okay, we're going to ordain you to go out and preach the gospel if we were going to put it into today's terms. And I can remember when I was ordained uh, to ministry and how exciting a time that was and how how honored, blessed, humbled, all those things that I was. And so I say all that to say Paul was having a good day. Um, but not long after that, Paul got some news he didn't like. And that's, that's putting it shortly, or that's putting it mildly. Um, he finds in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, that Peter, Cephas, um, was acting, um, was unbecoming of his place. He wasn't acting according to who he was. And so he, he needed to talk to him about that. Specifically, he was talk, he had talked to him about that, and he was telling the Galatians about it. So before we get into the teaching, I'm going to ask the question, why does the Galatians, why do the Galatians care about why what happened in Antioch, which is where he confronted Peter. And the answer is pretty simple. Paul is using the Antioch illustration as a real-life illustration to show how, one, he's not scared to defend the truth, and two, how they shouldn't be scared to defend the truth, and they can only stand on the truth. There's, you can't you can't slant the truth. We live in a world where we really want to. We really want to manipulate the truth, determine what is our truth, um, make the truth subjective as opposed to objective. We've talked about all those things. But at the end of the day, when we move from 
the truth, we lose our place. We forget who we are. And that's what Peter has done. And so Paul is using a real-life illustration to address the people in Galatia about what had happened in Antioch so that he could eventually get to the place he does in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, you foolish Galatians. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but in my teaching, more often than not, I will always try to lead in with an illustration. You know why I do that? Because it, the adult learner learns different than the, than the child does. You have to prove to an adult learner that they need the information that you have. And a lot of time that's best done through illustration. And so I'll give an illustration Get your attention, make sure that there's a need for you to have the information that I have, and then actually give you the information that I need you to have. And that's what Paul's doing when he's talking about what happened at Antioch here between verses 11 and 21. He's saying, I'm going to prove to you that you need the information that you have. Peter forgot his place, and you have forgotten your place, O foolish Galatians. And let me tell you what I did to Peter so that you'll know what's going to happen to you if you continue in the way that you're going. Know your place. How many of you guys have ever been told that? Well, you better know your place. My papa used to say that to me. You know what that meant? That meant I touched something I shouldn't have touched, I said something I shouldn't have said, or I went somewhere I shouldn't have went, and discipline was on the way. Whether it be verbal or physical, there was discipline coming. My pastor told me the same thing several years ago. I have a, I have a good pastor. Most of you have met him. He, he has consistently made it an intentional effort to put me in rooms I don't deserve to be in. And when I say I don't deserve to be in, I mean I'm not qualified for, I don't have the street cred for, I don't have the experience for. But he's put me in rooms with people with international ministries, and it's incredible the people he's put me in a room with. But one day, the first time I was in such a meeting, he pulled me to the side. He didn't really pull me to the side. We were driving down the road. And before we got there, he said this. He said, we're about to step into a room where yours is the smallest voice. And so I need you to be quiet and learn. Know your place. Peter's telling, or Paul's telling Peter, know your place. And our place is to stand on the truth. Amen? We have to stand on the truth. This is where we live. This. This space right here is where we live. This is the foundation of all known things. This right here. Revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Given to us by the work of Christ Jesus. Set on this. God's redemptive plan. This is our place. What's our place? The Word of God is our place. And when we compromise it, we lose our place. It's time the church came back to a place where it knows its place. Amen? And so I want to talk to you through this. I'm going to make three kind of short points, kind of not, I guess. The first one is this. Well, let me read through the text first. But you know what? Before I do that, maybe I should pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, I thank you for your word that this truly is our place, that you revealed yourself to us, how big you are, your majesty, your beauty, your mag just 
God, how strong you are, the fact that you're with us wherever we go, that you've made accommodation for us so that we might be with you forever, that it's our righteousness, your righteousness we carry, not our own. God, that you have forgiven us, that you have justified us. God, we can go on and on and on about how you are our provision, you are our peace, you are our hope. God, you are the love that we have. God, that we are determined, required, in fact, to share with others. God, we could go on and on and on, but I ask, Heavenly Father, that tonight you give us the wisdom and revelation to understand this particular passage. Verses 11 through 21. So that we can know what you expect from us. God, we praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. It reads like this. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Remember, he's talking to the Galatian churches about what happened in Antioch. He said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is why this is one of my probably top three favorite books in the Bible because Paul don't play, right? He's opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Remember Barnabas? Barnabas, the guy that stood beside him in Jerusalem and helped him defend his faith. Even that Barnabas, the Barnabas that he had gone on mission trips with, that had supported him, loved him, encouraged him, that Barnabas was even uh, messed up by this untruth, by this non-truth. You're not unassailable. I'll get to that in a minute. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even when we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been sinners, have been, also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild, rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Can I get an amen? In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for its righteousness comes through the law. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. How many of you are bold enough to say that Christ died needlessly? None of us are that bold. Amen? That's significant. We'll get to that in just a moment. There's three points I want to make from this text in regard to knowing your place. The first one is knowing your place means confronting those who are out of their place. Knowing your place means confronting those who are out of their place. Peter and Paul had a lot in common. 
Both are apostles. Both preached, both used, and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write pieces of the Scripture. Both oppressed, both attacked, both they had a they had a lot of stuff in common. Except for the fact that Peter, more often than I'm sure he would be excited about talking about, wavered in the truth. This isn't the first time this has happened to Peter. Peter left Jesus, betrayed him in the worst hour of his life. But you know what? God forgave him. Jesus Christ sought him out and extended grace to him. One of the main reasons why we have to confront those that are out of their place is so that they can have come back and have a return to Jesus meeting so that they can sit around a campfire too and eat and join in fellowship with Christ Jesus once again. We need to make sure that we confront those that are out of place. The, the text says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why did he do that? He did, did that according to this text because he stood condemned. He forbid him from doing what he was doing because he, it, caused, it would cause his destruction. It caused him to be condemned. We have to stand in the face of those who are unwilling to tell the truth to us for several reasons. The first reason is because, and the reason he confronted Peter is because what Peter was doing was hurting Peter. We don't live in a society that doesn't want to confront people with their sin because we don't want to hurt our friend. We don't want to cause them some discomfort. We don't want to cause them pain. But let me tell you, the fires of an eternal damnation separated from Christ are going to be a lot worse than whatever you can do to them. The Word of God says we are responsible to tell them the truth. How will they know unless someone tells them? That's us. People say, well, that's speaking specifically of a preacher. Let me tell you, if you've got the gospel in your mouth, if you've been saved, redeemed, and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have that responsibility too to tell other people because they are being destroyed for their lack of understanding the truth or convicting or compromising the convictions that they have regarding the truth. Too many people are worried about what they look like in front of other people. And so they don't tell them the truth and it's causing them to be condemned. It causes us to stand condemned. The Bible says that I quote it to you all the time, that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies his kisses. You know why I feel even just this much comfortable with the message that I know is coming on Sunday? Because if I cut you to the bone, it's not as bad as what's going to happen to you if you don't understand and stand on the truth. We have to recognize that sometimes to love them is to tell them things that they don't like. Now, that doesn't allow us or give us opportunity to speak it in any other way than in kindness and in love. But it's because we love that we tell them the truth. Man, I, I've got people in my family that don't know Jesus. That if they continue... 
in their truth, and I use air quotation marks for their truth, then they're going to stand condemned too. And as a pastor, I'm going to be responsible for that. I'm going to be responsible for you. You're like, wait a minute, I'm responsible for my own salvation. You are. But did you know I answer for you too? You're going you're gonna to go to heaven or hell on your own merit. But I'm going to be accountable to God for what I told you or didn't tell you. And that freaks me out. And so if it hurts your feelings, if the feelings are hurt or if you're wounded, ask the Holy Spirit, is this something I should be wounded about or is this something that you need me to fix? Because one of the things I learned a long time ago, and it's frustrating to me, but it's one of the things I learned a long time ago, is that every critique, every critique that I've ever received had some small kernel of truth in it. And it's my responsibility to dig out that kernel and figure out what it is. It's like a pearl. It starts as a piece of sand. They may come to you with a critique that's this big, but somewhere in the middle of that pearl is a piece of sand that may be the truth that caused this callousness in them. Our responsibility is to tell them the truth so that in their hurt, they can ask themselves the question, is that true? Why is it true? And what do I do about it? Amen? Paul confronted Peter because it was hurting Peter. But that's not the only reason he kind of confronted Peter. He confronted Peter because Peter was jacking up the gospel. He was messing up the gospel. He was adding things to the work of Jesus. You can't add anything to what Jesus did except for the sin that, was, that caused the necessity of Jesus to come in the first place. Did you hear what I said? The only thing that you can add to the gospel is your need for it. It is what it is. You are a sinner both by birth and action. Jesus came and died to give you eternal life and a confession out of your mouth and believing in your heart saves you from the pit of hell. If you add anything to that, if you say, well, but you got to do this too. No, you don't have to do this too. You don't have to be, as they, I mean, the word is circumcision, so let's just talk like adults. You don't have to be circumcised to prove that you're a Christian or to, to prove that you belong to God because that's the law. And you can't be justified by the law. You can only be justified by Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, by grace, through faith, because Christ Jesus did the work for you. The Bible goes on to say, so that no man can brag. You know what that means? It means you can go do nothing good enough to brag about anyway because there's nothing you can do above what Jesus has already done to accomplish that which you have. And so he confronted him. He told him, he said, you got to stop doing this. I'm opposing you to your face. Stop telling people that they got to add to the, to the grace that they've been given. And if you don't, then you're responsible for them. And you stand condemned. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the gospel. And it's going to hurt the hearer. I'm sorry, it's going to cause them to move away from their faith. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that say, 
Man, I used to go to church. They judged me all the time. Well, I got tired of the checklist. You know, they, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to wear a suit, and you got to, 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 you got to. The, tr- the truth of the matter is that the works do prove that grace has worked in your life, but works have no power to save you. And when you convince someone that their works have power to save them, it's a matter of time before they realize they can't do it and they walk away. There's a guy who goes to church here. I won't name him. He's not in the room tonight, but I'm still not going to name him. That was in Angela and I Sunday school class years ago. We didn't see him for four or five years, probably longer than that. He started attending church here some time ago. And I asked him, I said, where you been? He goes, and this is on me, and it crushed me. He said, man, I, I left Sunday school class at Cornerstone. We were Sunday school teachers. And you had said, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this. And he said, I went out to my car. He said, I missed church. I skipped church and everything. Went out to my car, and I just cried in the front seat, and I realized I'm never going to be able to do all of those things, and I just gave up. That's on me. Because I was trying to add works to the law. That's the first time I've ever told that story because I'm ashamed of it. But that's what happens when we try to add law to grace. People get tired of trying to do this stuff. Can we just fall back on Jesus? Can we just lay forward in front of the cross and just grab his feet like we talked about this weekend and just say thank you for the grace and the favor that you've extended us through faith? That's why he needed to be opposed. This is what it's saying through the whole thing. You have lied to them. The second point I would make is that those who... Those who know their place are convinced about who gave them their place. I'm confident to stand up here because I know who put me here. I'm confident to call myself a Christian because I know how I became a Christian. Christ called me here. Christ gave me salvation. Christ extended me favor. That's why I'm confident to stand up here. If I thought I had to do it under my own power, I'd never be able to. Amen? 16 and 17 read like this. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even when he believed in Christ so that he may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That's the thesis statement for this teaching. By works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Do you know what justified means? That means without charge. That doesn't mean to have your charges annulled or set aside or pretrial diversion, if any of you guys know what that is. If you asked to write for a year, we're going to take it off your record. doesn't mean any of that. Justified means as though it never, the charge never existed in the first place. We're no longer charged, but beyond that, it is though we have never been charged 
in the first place. As though we've never been guilty in the first place. As though we've never stood condemned in the first place. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that God takes our sin by making Christ sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. That's good stuff right there. But then when He justifies us, you know what He does? You know why it's as though we've never been charged? Because He, he, didn't, he didn't cover us in the blood of Jesus. He washed us clean with the blood of Jesus. He chiseled away the stain of the sin that was in Christ Jesus. It doesn't exist anymore. I know my place because I know who gave me my place. The Bible says that He took my sin as far as from the east to the west, that He threw it into the sea so that He wouldn't have to look at it again. He threw it behind Himself. This is what the Bible says. My sin that's been, that's been repented of no longer exists. This is good news for us because I have sinned and been good at it. But God has forgiven and is better at it. Man, we should be jumping up and down. If there was ever a Pentecostal moment where somebody should get their flag out and run around in this room, it's it. Amen? Because we can't do it on our own. Job's friend Bildad asked in Job 25.4, How then can a man be just before God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? These are rhetorical questions. You can't. Without Jesus, you can't be just before God without Jesus. You can't be clean without Jesus. It's about Jesus. I stand where I'm at, confidently, boldly, without wavering, because I know who put me here, because I know who I belong to. Know who you belong to. Know who you are. Know what you are. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. You are a priest. He has built this house on the cornerstone that is Jesus, and it will not fall. Amen. God is so good. I just want you to grab a hold of the fact that none of us deserve this. But Jesus gave it to us anyway. How dare we add anything to it? To put ourselves, to, to add to the gospel is to put ourselves in the place of God. And to say, oh, I know Jesus did that, but God didn't understand. I need this too. You don't need that. You just need Jesus. Having a rough day? Just fall back on Jesus. Relationship upside down, just fall back on Jesus. Lonely, fall back on Jesus. Find yourself mired in the worst sin you've ever imagined and wonder how you got there. Just fall back on Jesus. Do you know, it, it, it's amazing to me. <laughs> I, I, I just get lost in it. I hope you do too. But it's amazing to me that no matter what I do, not that I've been given grace for the sake so that I can sin. Paul says, may that never be. 
But there's so much grace that God loves us so much that we are literally, no matter how heinous the sin, no matter what we've done, if we fall back into the arms of Jesus and ask for repentance, we're one single prayer of repentance away from a relationship with Him. Perfect relationship with Him. It's the reason why every night before we go to bed, we need to look up at the ceiling and ask, God, what is it that I may have done that disappoints you? What have I done today that has caused a shadow to fall across your name instead of the glory shine the way that it should? Have I done anything to diminish the light that you've placed inside of me? Have I put a basket over myself in a way that makes you look bad? And if I have, God, show it to me by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's a prayer that honors God and one he'll answer. This is the confidence that we have that anything we ask according to the will of God, He hears us, and because He hears us, we have what we've asked for. You don't think he, you asking Him to show you where He may have made, where you may have made Him look bad, isn't in His will? Of course, it's His will. He wants you to know. Don't do that. I saved you for my glory. I expect you to live for my glory. Isn't that good? And then all we have to do is with a sincere heart, you can't say it flippantly, with a sincere heart is like, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, I love you. Please forgive me. And if something should happen tomorrow where I fail again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, can you help me stand back up on my feet and continue to fall back into you? You know what he'll say? He's not going to say, nope. He's not going to say, I've already forgiven you for that once already. He's going to say, yes, son, come on. He's going to be the father on the porch running to the son. That's so good. That's the God that we serve. That's knowing your place. Because you know who gave you your place. Amen. And then finally, I would simply add the third point, if I can find it here. Knowing your place means confidently knowing your own place. Know your own place. It says, we are crucified with Christ. Listen to me. You should die to self. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he wants from you. To know your place is to be right there with him. My prayer for this church is that we know our place, that we die continuously to self. But you know what? I, I also know that you can't do that by yourself. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in you. But we can guard against it. Paul told Timothy to, I don't even sure where it's at in my notes. I, I hate that I don't have the first memorized but I don't 1 Timothy 4.16 
Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Did you hear that? Pay attention to yourself. Because the, the problem that Peter fell into, that's, that's not an isolated incident. The enemy prowls around like a lion looking for who he can devour. You know what your responsibility is? Draw near to God. Protect your doctrine. Protect what you're hearing. Protect who you're listening to. And in so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you and see you. I am, I'm saved by grace. But I am encouraged, lifted up by the men that God has placed around me. Because they watched their teaching. They watched their life in such a way that I could watch it too so that me, the hearer, might be saved too. I continue to walk in righteousness. And our example is everything. You can walk, you can talk all day long. Man, I'm a Christian. I've told you this before. The problem with that statement, there is one. Is when I tell somebody I'm a Christian, they believe me. And they're going to say, first time you do something stupid, they're going to be like, I thought you were a Christian. Or worse than that, they're going to say, oh, that's how a Christian acts. Well, that'd be easy. I can do that. Amen? We have to know our place. And our place isn't determined by us. It's determined by God through Christ Jesus. Amen.